What happens after the romantic relationship with a narcissist ends? This process looks different for all survivors, but some of the elements, especially right at the end of their relationship, might include rumination about their relationship and focusing on the magical times, feeling loss of identity, deep grief, losing hope in ever getting over their relationship, isolation, among others. It is painful. Also, slowly, you begin transforming yourself into a new person. The rumination might start to decrease and you begin finding parts of yourself you forgot were there. And a glimpse of hope starts to show up. Today, I will continue my deep dive of Taylor Swift's song, All Too Well, 10-minute version, Taylor's version, from The Vault, to discuss the impacts of narcissistic abuse and how it is possible for survivors to thrive after dating a narcissist. Hi, I am Raisa, a survivor of narcissistic abuse, and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and you are listening to Hello Trauma Brain, a podcast where I share my experiences living with complex PTSD. My hope is this podcast can help destigmatize mental health and provide support to anyone diagnosed with CPTSD who thinks they might have it or has a loved one with this diagnosis. Quick reminder, I am not a licensed psychologist or mental health care professional, and this podcast is not meant to replace nor substitute the care of psychologists, other mental or medical health care professionals. If you think you might have complex PTSD or PTSD, please reach out to your primary care or mental health care provider. Any individuals and resources mentioned in this episode are not sponsoring Hello Trauma Brain. This episode may reference abuse, trauma, and suicidal feelings or ideation, and listener discretion is advised. Remember, you can always pause or skip this episode at any time. And now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, dear survivors, and welcome to this episode of Hello, Trauma Brain. Thank you for joining me today. Quick check-in. If you noticed that I sounded a little nasally last week, and since I recorded the analysis for all too well all on the same day, I will again shortly, that is because I got a sinus infection right after COVID. Since COVID hit me pretty hard for a few weeks, I kept gaslighting myself into dismissing my symptoms as bad allergies until I could not ignore it anymore. And even after the doctor confirmed the diagnosis and gave me medication, I still managed to gaslight myself a bit more. But once I started the antibiotics and noticed that my nose wasn't swollen and hurting anymore, I realized how insidious the effects of being gaslit can be to the point I will still not trust my perception to this day. Difference this time is that now I can recognize I was gaslighting myself and before I would have just dismissed myself with no further reflection. Though I am recording this intro days in advance, this episode is dropping during a major holiday in the United States. So happy Thanksgiving to those of you that are celebrating today. 
And Thanksgiving is actually a tough holiday for me as this weekend marks my first anniversary of going no contact with some of the most abusive people in my life. If today is a tough day for you too, I want you to know that you are not alone. If you are attending a difficult gathering, I hope you find ways to take care of yourself before, during, and after. And if you are not gathering at all and find yourself on your own today, I hope this episode can keep you some company and I am right there with you. This week, I will resume the discussion of Taylor Swift's song, All Too Well. I realized this week that the All Too Well short film was actually released in November of 2021. So I inadvertently chose this during a two-year anniversary for the re-release of the song. And I did forget to mention last episode that Taylor wrote and directed the short film too. So without further delay, here is part two of All Too Well. And with that, I'm going to transition into the lyrics for All Too Well, because they do deserve a deep dive as well. Song starts with, I walked through the door with you. The air was cold, but something about it felt like home somehow. If you ever felt like this person was familiar in your life, you know that feeling, you know that line. And that's actually a red flag, especially if what you've been exposed to in the past has been very toxic to the point where it's so normalized that when you find another toxic person, it just feels like you've known them your whole life. Like if you felt that when you were starting off with the narcissist, that that was a red flag. And no shame if you missed it. I have fucking missed that one many, many, many times. And it goes into, and I left my scarf there at your sister's house, and you still got it in your drawer even now. What I will say about that line is, you know, I feel like with narcissistic people, they almost like keep these mementos of like the conqueror, right? Like I, I won that person and I had them. And they almost try to keep a part of you like still engaged or still there for, for supply. In this case, uh, the scarf was that representation of still trying to impose some sort of control over her even many, many years later. Back to the lyrics. Oh, your sweet disposition and my wide-eyed gaze were singing in the car, getting lost upstate. By the way, not narcissistic, uh, abuse cycle related. Sweet Disposition is a great song by an Australian indie rock band called The Temper Trap. So if you're not familiar with that song, (laughs) I invite you to listen. It is a good tune. All right, uh, lyrics say after that, autumn leaves falling down like pieces into place. And I can picture it after all these days. That image of pieces falling into place, like I know I have described that in the past in other relationships I've had, like feels like I have my perfect puzzle piece. And that idealization of this person that doesn't feel very real. And how when we are remembering back, like we remember those good days, like that, those times, right? Like in this, this is what's playing over that upstate escape montage, like that feeling of, it was so magical that you still remember all the details way after. And you keep going back to it every time things get bad or even after it ends. And I know it's long gone, 
and that magic's not here no more. And I might be okay, but I'm not fine at all. The lyrics speak for themselves. <laughs> the magic, aka love bumming. How hard it is to get over these relationships after they are done. Because there we are again on that little town street. You almost ran the red because you were looking over at me. So there's a level of recklessness with some, some people that have narcissistic traits. And I don't know what the heck is up with the cars. <laughs> like, you're in a car and you almost run a red because you're not looking at the road. You're looking at this person like... That's love bombing. That's over the top. Like you should be paying attention. Your focus should be on this person that I really care about and, and yourself, right? You're in the car. Don't you want to keep that person and yourself safe? It would scare the shit out of me, to be honest. If somebody was like not paying attention at the road. Probably, you know, when you're in the love bombing stage, you're like almost like, oh my gosh, like that's how much they love me, right? And I've I've been there. I've been in, I've been in that situation. But yeah, like looking looking back, it's like, oh my gosh, I should have been like fucking scared. Back to the lyrics. Wind in my hair, I was there. I remember it all too well. You know, back to remembering all those love bombing times. Photo album on the counter. Your cheeks were turning red. You used to be a little kid with glasses in a twin size bed. And your mother's telling stories about you on the T-ball team. You taught me about your past, thinking your future was me. So usually with these relationships, you meet the family very quickly and the friends really fast and like things start moving extremely quickly and you start getting all this information about them. And it goes both ways. They're also getting all this information about you. And from what I hear in this section, it's like she really thought that this was something that was going to last. And she's thinking that she's getting to know him in this deep level. And that wasn't the case at all. And at this point, the song starts transitioning into that discard devalue stage. So we got the, and you were tossing me the car keys. Fuck the patriarchy. Keychain on the ground. We were always skipping town. And I was thinking on the drive down anytime now, he's gonna say it's love. You never called it what it was. Tossing the car keys. This is the scene where he's having the narcissistic fucking rage. And again, super dysregulated in the in the short film. And one thing that I want to highlight here is we were always skipping town. Anyone who has been in a narcissistic relationship might relate to the concept of being isolated. When you're isolated, you don't have a lot of contact with your family and your friends. You can't run by them the shit that's happening, like throwing the fucking car keys at her when he's having a rage episode. And it diminishes the chances that someone else is going to go like, wait a second, that's not okay. So you end up staying in this haze of confusion and not seeing things clearly. And this is all happening with the love bombing getting sprinkled in there too. So it makes it harder for you to really take in what's really going on. And one thing that you know, she, she goes on to say, like, she was expecting him to say it's love, but he never called it that. And it goes back to that whole thing about usually narcissistic people, they don't set the roots deep. You're not really there because they want to invest time and in, 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 in do a relationship from a healthy standpoint. It's more of you're there to serve me and your supply. And they don't quite fall in love in the same way that us who are on the receiving end do. The lyrics go on to say, 
Till we were dead and gone and buried. Check the pulse and come back swearing. It's the same after three months in the grave. And then you wonder where it went to as I reach for you. But all I felt was shame as you held my lifeless frame. That's pretty much narcissistic rage. You don't know what you're going to get. Like, check the pulse. Like, you don't know if they're going to come back swearing. You don't know if they're going to come back in, in a good mood. But when she says it's the same, this to me is like when the mask starts falling off. Because there is only so long that these people can keep the mask on and pretend to be nice and pretend to be kind and empathetic. Like, eventually it falls off and the rage episodes just start becoming a consistent thing. And she says three months in the grave and it really feels like you're in the grave. Like it feels like you're buried deep down in, in, in the ground and you just you can't see anything. There's no light. There's no clarity. There's just massive confusion going on constantly. Another thing that I have heard many people describe, and this is true for me, is narcissistic people, they basically throw their shame onto other people. And a lot of survivors struggle with those feelings of shame. And most of the time, the shame we're holding onto is actually not even ours, but it, it really gets implanted in such a deep way where we can't tell which is actually the shame that belongs to us and which is the part of the shame that belongs to them. And that lifeless frame, like becoming a shell of yourself, yeah I feel like I feel more like a human being these days but still it's it's a struggle especially when you get out of it like you really feel like there's nothing in you anymore like almost like you lost your humanness and that lifeless frame line really captures that dynamic I know it's long gone and there was nothing else I could do and I forget about you long enough to forget why I needed to. If you've ever been recovering from being with a narcissistic person, you know, probably can relate to that feeling of, there are days when you're like, yep, this person, nope, we're not doing this anymore. Absolutely not. And then you go back to the, wait, were they that bad? Maybe it was me. And you start second guessing yourself. And that, to me, that's what this is capturing, that confusion of like that going back and forth where one day you you know what you need to forget about this person or you need to see them for who they are. And the next day you forget why you were doing that to begin with. And you start going through that euphoric recall and missing them and getting confused all over again. Not like the confusion had ended, but it just it just amps up. Because there we are again in the middle of the night. We're dancing around the kitchen in the refrigerator light. Down the stairs, I was there. I remember it all too well. And there we are again when nobody had to know. You kept me like a secret, but I kept you like an oath. Sacred prayer and we'd swear to remember it all too well. A few things here. A, the euphoric recall creating that confusion again. That's why she's forgetting what she needed to forget, the him. And then we have the concept of, of the secrets. In narcissistic relationships, sometimes they keep that other significant other as a secret. Like he didn't say he loved her. I feel like sometimes it's the opposite. Like they actually brag about, about having you. But here it seems like there's there's this level of not really admitting to other people, you know, we're actually together, we're in a relationship, we're in love and, and whatnot. It's more like this thing is between us and not sharing it with anybody. And yeah, when you're when you're really invested with someone and you know, you want to share it and they're like not 
invested in, in reciprocating that, it can be very painful and it can cause a lot of shame and really have you second guessing, like, is there something wrong with me? Why don't they want to tell other people that we are together? And there's a, I mean, who knows, maybe they were with somebody else or working some angle. I don't know. And it goes back to that confusion of being in a narcissistic relationship. Like things are not clear. Things are very nuanced, subtle, and things that are not shared and disclosed with honesty and openness. Well, maybe we got lost in translation. Maybe I asked for too much. Maybe this thing was a masterpiece till you tore it all up. Okay. Um, well, the translation, that one actually would resonate with me because the English is not my first language. So... <laughs> I do remember at one point thinking like, am I not speaking? Like, is, is there something wrong with, with the English that I'm using that I'm not getting through? In this scenario, I'm going to assume that they both spoke the same language as a primary language and they you still feel like you're getting lost. And that's a big thing. Survivors, we tend to almost like blame ourselves. Like, are my communication skills shitty? What the hell is going on? Also, when she says, maybe I asked for too much. Oh, <laughs> All the times I've been told I'm too dramatic or too much or asking for too much. Just like, oh, I don't want to be black and white about this. But most of the times, the stuff that we were asking for actually wasn't too much. It was like the bare fucking minimum. Like asking for them to like admit that we're in a relationship and they love us. Like that's basics. That's not asking for too much or the moon or this egregious thing. You can just appreciate that self-blame, like something that survivors go through, especially when you're looking back, it's like, did I do something wrong? And I still do it, by the way. I still sometimes look back and I'm like, was I the fucking problem? And I wasn't perfect. I, I, there were times where I came short, of course. I didn't nail it and knock it out of the park every time. This is not being unaware of my humanity. It's more of I'm taking blame for the whole fucking thing and I can't figure out what went wrong. And if you're having a really hard time figuring things out, that's a red flag too. One more thing, because she says maybe this was the masterpiece until you tore it all up. At this point, you can start seeing that she's starting to put the blame where it belongs, A. And two, she's still wondering, was that the love of my life? Was that the best I could have done? Maybe this was a masterpiece we idealize and and put these relationships on a pedestal because when we are going through the highs they're really fucking good and that's how that murks the waters a bit to the point you start forgetting how fucking low it all so was running scared i was there i remember it all too well and you call me up again just to break me like a promise so casually cruel in the name of being honest, I'm a crumpled up piece of paper lying here because I remember it all. At Hoover, at calling her, but he's still leaving her heartbroken and feeling like a shell, a broken shell of herself. These relationships have a undertone of cruelty all throughout. They really hurt deep. One of the biggest setbacks for any survivor, me included, is when you're starting to like, see the light and you feel like you're getting better and they fucking send a message or a call or they try to add you on social media or they find some fucking way to weasel their way back and it's a huge setback it's so hard to navigate that and it's so confusing and cruel 
They say all's well that ends well, but I'm in a new hell every time you double-cross my mind. You said if we had been closer in age, maybe it would have been fine, and that made me want to die. I've talked about this before. Here's the thing. It bears repeating. (laughs) After you leave, there's this common assumption that once you leave, then the sun all of a sudden comes out and the fog just clears in like two seconds and you're good to go and let's get back on it. Start dating. I'm going to start having lunches with my friends and having a grand time and all is well. And that's the thing. When you when these relationships end, they don't feel great. You're going through hell again. It's, it's, it's a new kind of pain. It's not over. And there is that rumination, that line of every time you double cross my mind, it's intrusive. You don't even want to think about them, but yet your mind, like you might be having nightmares about them. You might be seeing reminders of them all over the fucking place. It's so unsettling and destabilizing when you're going through it. You're thinking about all the things they said, especially if if they discard you and they gave you reasons. And in this case, the closer in age, that was bullshit. And that made me want to die. Like a lot of us struggle with the suicidal ideation and feelings. And, you know, it could even be like a metaphor. Like you really feel horrible. You feel so awful when you hear something like that. Because it puts the blame back on you. And let's call it what it was. He ended it. For what reason? He probably doesn't fully know or is aware of it. But whichever the reason was. It had nothing to do with their age. She could have been the same age. And if he was a narcissist, he was going to act the same fucking way, even if she was older. It doesn't matter because they don't change. And their patterns in romantic relationships will show up regardless of what type of romantic relationships, what the gender is, what the age is, what the whatever is. The idea you had of me, who was she? A never needy, ever lovely jewel whose shine reflects on you. Take a moment to just like mic drop it for Taylor here. That's a great fucking line. Dr. Romani talks about this all the time. A narcissistic relationship is where your needs go to die. You don't get to have needs, period. When you have needs, it is a shit show. Maybe during the love bombing stage, a few needs will be able to be honored because they're trying to win you over. But let me tell you, once you're in it, your needs are fucking going away unless your needs align with theirs. And that image of the ever lovely jewel reflecting shine upon them, aka you are an extension of the narcissist. That's how these relationships work. They don't see you as a whole human being with needs, desires. You are just something They get supply from something that needs to look good for them. Shine that reflects good on them. And by the way, not too much shine. Because if you outshine them, they'll take you down a notch too. It has to be enough for them to look good and feel good about themselves, but not too much that all of a sudden now you have the spotlight. And not too little that it looks bad on them. It's it's crazy making. There is no right way to do this. There's no blissful point you can get to where this stays stable and works out and consistent. They constantly move the goalpost. Back to the lyrics. Not weeping in a party bathroom. Some actress asking me what happened. You. 
That's what happened. You. So I want to take a moment to talk about this concept of bringing up people from the past, especially when they're abusers of a survivor. So I personally feel like it's a cultural thing to make this assumption that once you've dated someone or you've been friends with someone or you've had someone in your life in any capacity, when it's over, there's this assumption that you want to know about that person for the rest of your life. So if somebody runs into them, they tell you. If they are asking about you, they tell you. If they have some major life event happening, for some reason, they reach out to tell you about it. Now, I don't want to make the argument that you should assume that nobody wants to hear about anyone from their past ever again. But I will offer that personally for me, if it's someone who was not abusive, I don't mind. But often even the abusive people or people that I did not have a good ending with, they still get brought up. And it really hurts my mental health. I ruminate after, I have a lot of shame and guilt that come through, and it really throws me off. It's just really detrimental. And in the past, I have not been very good at voicing that out loud. I have here and there, but usually I just kind of like take a deep breath, swallow it down, smile and nod, and pretend that I'm cool with it, when in reality I'm not. Here's what I want to offer you. And this is something you can take whether you are the survivor or someone who's in relationship with the survivor. So if you are the survivor, you can absolutely tell the other person, hey, I no longer want to know about this other person. If they're asking about me, if, they're, if they have any changes in their life or if you run into them, I really don't want to know anymore. And that's a good way to set a boundary with that person and see how they manage it. If you are on the other end, it is okay to ask. Hey, I know you and so-and-so are no longer in contact. Do you want to hear about them? If I were to run into them or talk to them, would you like me to tell you? And have them decide. And also, don't make the assumption that that's going to be forever and ever how they want to handle things. Maybe they want to hear about them for a little bit and then they change their mind. It is okay to check in with them again. It's like, hey, you know, it's, it's been some time. I just want to make sure that you're still, this is what you want. And you don't have to ask it every single time you're interacting. But just something to keep in mind, because as I have been healing, I have been learning more about communicating clearly, which by the way, for me, that's like a whole new concept. Maybe some of you listen and you're like, duh, but trust me, it ain't duh to me. So I just wanted to share that with you in case you find it helpful. Back to the lyrics. You charmed my dad with self-effacing jokes, sipping coffee like you are on a late night show, aka that charisma charm that they use to impress everybody else so they look fantastic and great while behind closed doors he was making that father's daughter cry he was breaking her down but then he referring to the father watch me watch the front door all night willing you to come and he said it's supposed to be fun turning 21 Oh, that line is so sad. It's just so sad. She couldn't even enjoy her birthday. By the way, what the heck is up with the birthdays? <laughs> Narcissistic people, I, I swear, like, they can't handle somebody else having, like, a birthday. And I will agree with Dr. Ramani's take on this, which is that when you look at what a birthday is, is somebody else getting celebrated like they are the ones who get all the shine all the attention all the spotlight for one day that person is not them it's almost like they can't fucking handle it 
it's just heartbreaking to hear this part of the song because it's not any regular birthday either. It's like the 21st birthday. It's like a special one. And just ruined by the fact that this person discarded her and did not reach out. And <sighs> so sad. Again, so sad. Time won't fly. It's like I'm paralyzed by it. I like to be my old self again, but I'm still trying to find it. After the plaid days and nights when you made me your own, now you mail back my things and I walk home alone. Time being frozen, paralyzed, stopped. That's it. That's how it feels like. It feels like time stops. And this is one of the issues I have. A lot of very strong opinions about people that shame survivors for taking quote unquote too long to get over their relationship. To you, it might have been eight months or a year, or maybe to you, it sounds like an appropriate time to be over it. But for a survivor, time is frozen still for an unknown period of time. We don't know when the light starts coming. There is no deadline. There is no set time. It really is frozen. She also talks about like being her old self again. A big theme if you have been in a narcissistic relationship is you lose who you are. You lose your identity, period. You feel like a shell of yourself. You really do. And I've tried to explain this to other people. And and what I've gotten back is the, well, you seem like the same person to me the entire time. And it's like, you're not hearing me. Like you're dismissing what I'm trying to explain. I didn't feel like myself. I'm not asking if you thought that I had changed. I was trying to explain, I didn't feel like myself anymore. I still don't feel like myself, right? And to get dismissed like that, it's just, oh, if you're listening and you're supporting a survivor, please don't say that. Just please don't. It feels awful. I can tell you from from where I've stood when I've heard it, it just it doesn't feel good. And at this point, you know, we're, we're into the, the feelings of a heartbreak. You know, you're getting your stuff back. Now you are alone. You're trying to navigate it. But the thing is, breakups suck. There's no two ways about it. It doesn't matter what type of breakup. It, it hurts. Absolutely, it hurts. But the toxic heartbreak, this is what she's describing here. That toxic heartbreak. Like, it's not just feeling lonely and missing them and being sad that, you know, you're milling, you know, things back to each other and it's over. You actually don't even know who you are anymore. And you don't know how to get back to that. That's the toxic heartbreak in a nutshell. Back to the lyrics. But you keep my old scarf from that very first week. Because it reminds you of innocence and it smells like me. You can't get rid of it. Because you remember it all too well. I feel like now that I'm actually reading this out loud. And I know I said earlier that the scarf could be like him trying to still have some control over her. Actually, I'm going to change that. I think the old scarf represents also the hope that she has that he still remembers her and misses her, still might have some feelings for her. And I feel like that's the hope that we all have, like deep down, like we're hoping that they are going to come to their fucking senses and come back or at least acknowledge what happened. And it's a heartbreaking wish because that that ain't coming true. Not, not if it was a narcissist. Because there we are again when I loved you so. Back before you lost the one real thing you've ever known. It was rare. I was there. I remember it all too well. Wind in my hair, you were there. You remember it all. Down the stairs, you were there. You remember it all. It was rare. I was there. I remember it all too well. More euphoric recall. And hoping that he's also having that euphoric recall. 
And I was never good at telling jokes, but the punchline goes, I'll get older, but your lovers stay my age. Just another reminder, like at this point, this is coming from the perspective of her. She's seen who this person has been with afterwards. And all of a sudden, someone who was saying the age was a problem, he's still dating people who are her age. And if anything, she's getting older. <laughs> and he's still dating younger and younger people. And what I will say about this dynamic of dating younger people, um, not that I want to shame anyone who dates anybody younger, but in narcissistic relationships, like I'm really solely talking about narcissistic relationships, there seems to be this trend of them going for these very significantly younger partners and not from a place of you know they met and they hit the spark and they actually care and want to treat this person you know with love and care but from an extension of myself perspective like it looks good on them it's very different from two people falling in love regardless of their age like here there's an actual intention of choosing someone just for how good it looks from when your Brooklyn broke my skin and bones, I'm a soldier who's returning half her weight. You got that imagery of like, you almost feel like you went to war and you're coming back almost unrecognizable and a completely different person. And did the twin flame bruise paint you blue just between us? Did the love affair maim you too? A famous twin flame, a very problematic framework where you're almost encouraged to make it work and ignore everything because this person is supposed to be this once-in-a-lifetime connection that you can never get anywhere else. And there's a huge problem with that framework because when you're operating from that scarcity mindset, like this is the only person for me, that's going to make it more likely that you will put up with a lot of abuse because in your mind, there is nothing else. And A, that's dangerous and it's not true. There, there are, uh, there's a lot of people out there in the world. Nobody should ever have to put up with abuse. And nobody should be abusing anyone. And nobody should feel obligated to tolerate that abuse. Absolutely not. And she's still wondering, like, did this affect him at all? Did this do anything for you? Like, are you feeling any of this pain? And from a framework of this being a fictional story, I'm going to take a guess that probably not. She's probably feeling a lot of pain that doesn't even face him because he didn't even go deep enough to even say I love you or that it was love at all. Because in the city's barren cold, I still remember the first fall of snow and how it glistened as it fell. I remember it all too well. Now here's where we got that cycle. First line of this song is, I walked through the door with you. The air was cold. And here we are at the end of the song. Cause in the city's barren cold. Cold. That's what it feels like to be in a narcissistic relationship. You are cold, freezing. And I'm gonna add starving. There is a line in one of my favorite songs from Gregory Allen Isakoff. The song is called Watchman. And he says, our love is hungry and cold. And that's a narcissistic relationship through and through. You're just starving the entire time and freezing and uncomfortable and barely making it through. And it goes back to that coldness she felt right at the beginning during the love bombing stage. She already was feeling the cold then. 
and she's feeling it now that it's over. Just between us did the love affair maim you all too well. Just between us, do you remember it all too well? Just between us, I remember it all too well. The reason I'm reading these lines, I know some of them are repeating themselves, is because it captures the rumination. You are thinking the same thing over and over. Did you feel anything? Did it maim you too well? Do you remember the wind in my hair? Do you remember the stairs? Like, are you experiencing this too? And a part of the song that I love is like at the end when she's like repeating those lines. It's just so beautifully done. Like that last section that repeats itself saying, Wind in my hair, I was there, I was there. Down the stairs, I was there, I was there. Sacred prayer, I was there, I was there. It was rare, you remember it all too well. (laughs) Just get your tissues out, right? So... Ah, oh, so painful. And a great song. Honestly, it's, it just captures the whole the whole thing. And that wraps up the deep dive on the lyrics of All Too Well. In this week's healing invitation, I want to offer you a few things to reflect about. Did any of the sections of the song All Too Well or the discussion resonate with you? Are you able to take a moment and identify the emotions that are coming up? Where in your body do you feel those sensations that came up as you listened to the episode? Part of healing includes becoming aware and being mindful of where our body stores memories of the abuse. This is a good exercise, especially for those of us that tend to be in our heads a lot and struggle pinpointing how we feel about things. Please let me know how this week's healing invitation goes if you choose to accept it. Before we wrap up this episode, all music and production is courtesy of yours truly. Also, I want to share a few ways you can support this podcast. You can subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the platform you are using to listen. Share this episode with anyone you think can benefit from this content. Follow Hello Trauma Brain on Instagram. Subscribe to the Hello Trauma Brain YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to be the first to know when I post a new episode. And you can make a donation by getting me a coffee through the official bio site. Also, a quick announcement that now you can follow and listen to Hello Trauma Brain on Amazon Music. No worries. All links will be provided in the show notes. One more thing before we go. I want to say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for tuning in week after week, sharing the podcast, recommending it to others, and for your presence, for the work that you are doing. I am very grateful, and I hope that you're able to find some ways to treat yourself with kindness and care today and every day. 
Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found this episode helpful. I wish you the best as you reflect on today's discussion and as you navigate the holiday weekend. It is time for our farewell affirmations. You are welcome to repeat after me. I am enough. I am lovable. And I deserve to heal. I wish you a gentle week and thank you for listening.